Well, good morning. So this morning I wanted to start out with the question, um, what exactly does God want from us? What does he want from man? And what do we want from him? What does man want from God? And is what we want from God um, the same as what God wants for us? Or what is the relationship between what God wants from us and what we want from him? Um, what role exactly do we see God playing in our life? Uh, is God's purpose fulfilled in our will, or um, is our purpose fulfilled in doing his will? Is it his purpose for him to do what we want, or is it our purpose to do what he wants? You know, how we answer that question you know, what is God's function in our life to be our servant and to, to uh, meet all of our needs or is our purpose to fulfill God's will? How we answer that question depends on our view of the nature of God. And the really question boils down to this. Is God a personal God or is he an impersonal God? And you'll see in a minute why that is at the heart of answering the question, is the God's purpose to do my will or is my purpose to do his will? Um, when I say that God is either personal or impersonal, by being personal, what I mean is that God has the qualities of personhood, that he has mind he has will, and he has an emotion. That's what makes a person a person. Uh, a rock doesn't have any of those things, and, um, and a rock is not a person. So a person is one that has mind, the capacity to reason and think and interact with the, the world. It has a desire or a want or a will, and it has emotions. It's affected by uh, that which is around it emotionally. Now, if uh, somebody is impersonal, uh, or if God is impersonal, that would mean he has no opinion of his own, he has no will of his own, and he doesn't care about anything or anybody. Now, there are a lot of great impersonal things in our lives. You know, here are some of the great impersonal things in our lives. Um, my car is impersonal. It does not have its own mind. It does not have its own will. It does not have its own emotion, but I like it a lot because it does my will. <laughs> It gets me where I want to go. You know, with an impersonal thing, there's nothing wrong with my wanting to use my car to fulfill my will. Or um, my computer, although sometimes I, I wonder about that. That thing of mine needs a psychiatrist, not a mechanic. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I think that my computer's impersonal, <laughs> which means it's for my use and for my uh, uh, whatever I want to do with it to exploit it however I want. Or uh, my power drills, you know. The thing about my power drills are, you know, that they are impersonal. I can use it whenever I want, and it never gets mad at me one way or the other, even if I'm using it or misusing it. Uh, now, is God personal or impersonal? If we think of God as being personal or a person, that is, that he has mind, will, and emotion, um, you know, the, that, that creates um, a question of, well, how do we relate or respond to him? But if he's impersonal, that he doesn't have a mind, will, or emotion, or he doesn't care about anything, well, what difference does it make? 
Now, in terms of my power drill, it's impersonal. I can use that thing and I can hang it back up in the garage. Heck, I can hang it back up in the garage for months at a time, even a year at a time. And it never gets upset about anything. I can take it and use it when I want. I can put it up and neglect it forever. I can ignore it. And it's not upset about that at all. Now, if I tried that with my wife, I don't think it would go over too big. Uh, Honey, I got a peg in the garage for you. (laughs) When I'm done with you, I'm going to hang you up there and just just wait. I'll be back someday and I'll take you off when I want to use you again. Now, that, that wouldn't work out too well because my wife is a person. My drill is not. God is a person. Either he is a person or he's not a person. He either is a person with mind, will, or emotion, or he's an impersonal force like a tool. Um, Now, today, as we continue in our series entitled Believing the Truth and Living Out the Truth, as I mentioned last week, um, uh, after all these years, I'm changing, at least for this sermon series, the pattern of how uh, my, my sermon is organized instead of a theme and uh, supporting points. It's just going to be these two ideas. What is a truth? Uh, and how do we live that truth out? So believing the truth and living the truth is how this message is organized. Um, now, last week, as you know, we started out in our uh, God No Guard chart. And uh, I neglected to mention last week, because you can't really read it on the screen, that Ryan has uh, prepared the God No God chart on the back of the sermon notes, which are in your bulletin. So you can read uh, the God No God chart from your bulletin insert and uh, see where we're at and follow it with that if it's not up on the screen or if you want to look back at it. So last week we started out by asking the question, either God exists or God doesn't exist. And um, if God doesn't exist, then we as humans are the highest possible thing. There's no opinion higher than ours, and there's no one that has a right to exert their opinion over mine. My opinion is equal with their opinion, and no, everyone becomes their own moral determiner. Uh, therefore, it's not a matter of right and wrong in the world. It's a matter of strong and weak. Uh, Whoever can exert the most power is the one that's in control. Um, Now, if that's true, if there is no absolute truth and there is no absolute morality derived from uh, the existence of God, then there is no consequence to our lives. After we die, we all die. We could be the greatest guy in the world or we could be a mass murderer. It doesn't matter. We're just all going to make it to the grave. There's really no consequence or purpose in life if God does not exist. But if God does exist, um, then uh, the question becomes, you know, uh, are we uh, fearing him? And in our fear of him, are we recognizing that we're accountable to him and that he rewards righteousness and and punishes wickedness? And in that, do we come to the realization of our need for mercy and the extension of his mercy to us through Christ Jesus? Um, Now, this week, we're going to be looking at the issue of is God personal or is God impersonal? Uh, we last week, uh, the truth that we established was that God does exist. And now the question is, if God exists, is he a personal God or an impersonal God? Does he have mind, will and an emotion or does he is he just an impersonal force? 
with uh, no personal will, caring about nothing, concerned about uh, no one's well-being. Now, what difference does it make to us if God is personal or impersonal? Um, Well, if God is impersonal, then he's amoral, meaning that he doesn't have an opinion on what is good or what is evil. You know, um, my car doesn't care, doesn't have an opinion on whether I'm speeding or not. It doesn't uh, tell me that I'm doing something wrong when I'm weaving in and out of traffic. Imagine that I would ever do that. I don't really do that. But anyway, if I were, um, God, if he were, if he were impersonal, would be amoral. And uh, if he were amoral, then what would he be to us but a force to exploit? Um, one way or the other to do our will. You know, he would be a force to exploit or to control, for us to control. And the ultimate consequence of life would be similar to if there were no God at all, because there would be no purpose if there isn't a moral God, a truth-giving God, just a force out there. We would just die, and everyone's death would be uh, equal in its consequence. We would just be dead, and that would be it. But uh, the, the, the truth that we're asserting this morning is that God is personal. And being that he is personal, that, that is that he has mind, will, and emotion, um, the question is, is how are we relating to this personal God? Now, so we want to establish this idea that God is personal and everywhere in the Bible. I mean, you can't go anywhere in the Bible without this truth being self-evident. But we'll just start at the beginning in Genesis 1:27, where it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So if we're created in God's image... Uh, All we have to do is ask the question in terms of whether God is personal or not to ask the question, are we personal? Am I a person? If I'm a person and I'm created in God's image, then God's a person. And notice in the creation of man, he's not talking about males. He's talking about males and females. He created mankind in this personal relationship with each other. So at the heart of what reflects the nature of God is this idea of being a person, being able to think, reason, feel, uh, will, have a will, have desires. Um, Since God created man in his own image, and since we are personal, then it follows that God also is personal. He has a mind, will, and emotions, just as he has created us with those personal qualities. Now, there's one big difference between our being personal and God's being personal. And that is, is as a person, God is holy, meaning that his thoughts are always true. His will is always good. And his emotions are always pure. He's undefiled. He's uncompromised in his emotions by self-interest. He's undefiled by, in his desires by evil desires, desires that would bring harm. And he's, uh, he's, he's perfectly uh, informed on everything and every, everybody. There's one person that knows everything, and that's God. And because of that, he has a perfect grasp of the truth. He cannot be deceived. Uh, that is not true for us. Uh, <clears throat> 
And it has been his will from the very beginning to restore us as we have walked away from him to a state of holy personhood, perfect personhood, where our minds are led by the truth, our desires are based on what is good, what brings blessing, and our emotions are, are based on the empathy and the well-being of other people. <clears throat> the more we conform to Christ by the Spirit of Christ in us, we can't really conform to Christ by our own will, but the more we hang out with Jesus by inviting his spirit to be with us, by enjoying his presence, the more we become like Christ, the more we truly become personal, the more we truly become a person of holiness. Uh, being personal is the central principle of humanity. When you say a person is inhumane, you're really saying they've lost some aspect of personhood. Um, for example, when you think of a sociopath, what do you think of? You think of a person who we would call inhuman, inhumane or inhuman, not human. Why would we say they're not human? Because they have lost some aspect of their personhood. And particularly, they've lost the emotional connection to other people. They've lost the ability to empathize with the well-being of other people. They don't have any emotion towards the harm and the suffering that they are causing. And without that concern of the well-being of other people, a person stops being a person in the sense of a total personhood. We have to have mind, will, and empathy towards those around us. So what's at stake in the question, uh, is God personal or impersonal? Well, if he's personal, then he is um, intelligent and infinitely intelligent, more intelligent than we are. What are the implications if God is smarter than we are? <laughs> yeah, in the garden, Adam and Eve started thinking that they were smarter than God and they wanted to become like God and they wanted to decide from themselves what is right and wrong. Not a good idea because we don't have all the information. And so they chose to, to defy God. God had asked them to just do one thing, and I know this is review, but just think about it. You could do whatever you want except for one thing. You can enjoy, enjoy all of my creation and all the blessings within it. Just don't eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Just don't try to take my place. Just recognize that I am the source of moral action and behavior, that I'm the one who is the fountainhead of truth. Don't think that you can decide for yourself right and wrong apart from me. Uh, God in his personhood is vastly superior to us in giving us guidance. You know, the, the, the typical refrain from every parent is to a child is, don't put your hand in the fire. What is a child doing when they actually defy that and they put their hand in the fire? They're saying, I'm not sure mom and dad really know what they're talking about. Yeah, it, it might not even be harmful. In fact, it's nice and warm. It's pretty. It's glowing. You know, it's... Uh, not, it's, it's like that with us and God. Every time we say, oh, you know what? I think I'll reconsider um, 
the ideas that he has spelled out in his word because I'm not really sure whether he's right. Well, isn't that a reflection of our culture? Our culture as a whole has rapidly and increasing, uh, increasingly rapidly uh, thrown God's guidance to the wind in this past decade. Uh, the doorway to darkness uh, of evil has been wrenched open in the name of being true to ourselves. Any attempt that we make to try to stand against the march of humanity going off the cliff uh, is labeled what? Intolerant. You know, if you say, okay, you know what? I think God is a little smarter than we are. God has communicated to us his moral principles. And I think it's a good idea that we probably obey them or acknowledge them as being true. Well, if you say that in this day and age, you're intolerant. Um, I was just reading in today's paper the, the number of, of Christians who deny the concept of hell now. It's getting towards a majority. Now, why would we do that if God's word says that there is a heaven and there is a hell, that there's an ultimate destiny to, to man's response to God? Well, because we're smarter than he is and because it's not acceptable in our culture to think about hell. Really? The question for us is, and here's the question I've asked throughout my ministry. Would I rather be considered wrong by our culture today and be proved to be right for all eternity? Or would I rather be considered right by our culture today be celebrated by our culture today, be thought of highly by our culture today, and be proved wrong for all eternity. Which would you rather? I know what my answer is. Think I'm an intolerant Bible pounder all you want. I just happen to know God is smarter than I am and that his word is worthy of consideration, not only consideration, obedience. Not that I'm all that great at it, but I know that he's right. Uh, God is personal, and his truth um, and his love will overcome our rebellion. But what if God isn't personal? What if this proposition is not true? What if, as with uh, Eastern thought, God uh, is not personal, as Eastern thought holds God is an impersonal force popularized by the movies of Star Wars. God is just a force to be tapped into. He isn't a person to be obeyed. Now, what if that were true? If that's true, then I am my own moral determiner. I decide what is right and wrong. God becomes to me like nuclear power, uh, he, nuclear power doesn't care where, whether it's uh, lighting up a city or blowing up a city. It doesn't really care. It's just who, whatever we use it to do. And so if God is impersonal, he'd be like nuclear power. Wow, he can affect a lot of change. He can make a big difference. Uh, either he can destroy or he can, he can illuminate. But 
it's uh, how I use him, how I manipulate him, how I get to control him. So much of religion is trying to figure out how to control God, how to get God to do our will. Therefore, if God is impersonal, we don't need to worry about what he wants. All we need to do is worry about what we want and try to figure out how to get him to do, and we couldn't really call him him, but try to get it to do what we want. On a side note, um, I lament frequently when I listen to some of the popular messages out there today. Some of the most popular pastors uh, preach week after week on the idea of how you can get God to do what you want. I, I think it's really a harmful thing to the people who are listening to those sermons thinking that that's what God's purpose is. How can we get God to do what I want? How can I get God to, to answer my prayers the way I want him to? How can I get him, you know, if I do this, if I do that, if I do this, if I do this kind of uh, religious ritual, then God has to bless me. If I, if I, you know, assert this or if I say this or if I do this, then God is, is going to have to respond to me. It's kind of like this. Have you ever seen a private try to give a command to a five-star general? That's what we're like when we do that to God. God, I'm in control here. I'm in charge. I want you to obey me. And if you don't obey me and if things don't go the way I want, I'm going to deny that you even exist or that you're good. I just thank God for his patient kindness because I've done plenty of that myself. (laughs) Oh man, I thank God for his patient kindness. Patience and his kindness. So the truth is, is that God is a personal God and living out the truth. How do we live out the truth? Given that God is a personal God, the living out the truth boils down to, to know God is eternal life. There's an amazing passage in, in John 17 that, that where Jesus defines life itself, especially eternal life, eternal life that has no limits qualitatively or chronologically, a life that can be expanded forever in its quality and its, and its length. Uh, it, he defines that as simply knowing God and knowing himself. Let's take a look at it. John 17, 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that, your, that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now check this out. And this is eternal life. What is eternal life? And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, when he said the words, um, these are the words I have spoken to you, he was referring to the verses that preceded this. And um, 
he, he's talking about, you know, the fact that he had come from the Father, that he'd come to earth to reveal the Father to us, and now he was going back to the Father since his mission was done. And he says here that he has all authority to give eternal life to those who are called by the Father. And this eternal life is, in essence, personally knowing God and Jesus Christ, his Son. Now, since God is personal, the way we live out the truth that he is personal isn't to try to control him, it's to try to get to know him, to know God as he is. It turns out that's the essence of eternal life. Adam and Eve enjoyed that kind of connection in the garden before their relationship was broken, before they walked away from God in the garden. And before that, they walked with God, they talked with God, they, their life was life. And as soon as that life was over, that spiritual life was over and it was broken, death entered into the world. Initially, spiritual death occurred at the point at which their relationship with God was broken. They were dead. They were dead spiritually, they were dying psychologically, and they ultimately would die physically. Life is, in essence, being connected through the knowledge of what God is like to God and, and to his love. And without that, there is spiritual, psychological, and physical death. Uh, God doesn't want us to be dead. That's what the resurrection's all about. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what the kingdom's about. God does not want us to be dead. He doesn't want our relationship with him to be broken. He wants us to have a spiritual connection to him. Uh, he doesn't want us to be estranged. He sent his son for this purpose. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that eternal life, what revives us, is in our restored relationship with him. So the question becomes, if God is personal, how should we treat him? Should we treat him like a vending machine where I, you know, put in my money in the right place and I pick the right button to push and I get what I want out of it? Or should we treat him like a person where we try to get to know him and be with him? To know God is eternal life. Shouldn't that cause our question to be, how can I get to know God better? <clears throat> Believing the truth. God is personal. That's the truth. And living out the truth is to know God is eternal life. Uh, I would like to conclude this morning with the question, what is our greatest barrier to our knowing God? Well, King David knew the answer to that, and we see the answer to that in his song in Psalm 139, where he's singing um, in verses 23 through 24, and these are the words of his song. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
He knows that what is the barrier between him and everlasting life, what is the barrier between him and knowing God, are those things in his heart that create a barrier between he and God. Search us, O God, despite our rebellious hearts, search us that we might confess our sins and be restored to you through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the sacrifice of the cross. God speaks of his love for Israel and by extension to us in his merciful um, nature in Isaiah chapter 41 verses 8 through 10. This is what he says in Isaiah towards his people Israel. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took to the ends of the earth, took from the ends of the earth and have called from the furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, which is Jesus. He has chosen us to be his friend. Despite Israel's stubbornness, despite her heart of rebellion, God has chosen her to be his friend. And despite our waywardness, God has chosen us to be his friend, to help us, to strengthen us, to uphold us. He says, I am yours and you are mine. Not because of your faithfulness, but because of my faithfulness to you. We are friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we just pray that this week that we would have just time not to come before you and try to control you, but to try to discover you. Help us to try to discover what you're like this week in our prayers and in our contemplations of your word and and, and in our observations of your creation, Lord. Help us just have a sense of what you're like and just be reassured in the beauty of your personhood. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Ultimate Outcomes Sermon Podcast. Ultimate Outcomes is a nonprofit organization founded on the biblical principle that knowing and applying God's truth makes a difference in the quality and destiny of our lives. It is our prayer that this podcast and its resources bless you and your churches as much as it has blessed all of us who have learned from the biblical teachings of Richard Elwell. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit www.ultimateoutcomes.org.